This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. I'm hoping that we've all got over the fume, fury and frustration of the Manchester derby. I'm not sure that I have because just saying those words makes me furrow my brow once again. Andy, you're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head because it was a disgrace what happened at, at their place on Sunday. And having spoke to a lot more people since it happened I feel like I've got a bit more clarity with it I and mean, obviously we know United started brightly but I had absolutely no backup when when things came on top no resilience no belief no confidence determination organization consistency of formation pressing style approach do you want him to go on <laughs> I don't know if I do actually Carl do you want him to go on um <laughs> well I thought I was doing okay you know just you know resigned disappointment and then and when then they listened to Andy just now, no, they did the it was the VAR bit for the fourth goal, and I thought, you know, I'm all right. They can't hurt me. It's, I'm, you know, if you expect the worst, you can't really be really disappointed. And then during that VAR bit, I very loudly shouted, "It's the fourth effing goal. Who gives it f? They don't need it. <laughs> they don't need it. Stop humiliating me." We're going to try and take our minds away from the derby if we can. I think that might be impossible judging how this podcast has started by talking about some different topics around Manchester United, including, of course, previewing a really important game this weekend at Old Trafford against Tottenham. But we'll also speak about Manchester United's youth team getting to the FA Youth Cup final for the first time since 2011. We'll be reflecting on the career now of one of the stars from the team that last reached that final as well. And also speak about the idea that other clubs might be about to rival United's treble of 1999. Fortunately, that's towards the end of the podcast, so um, you can enjoy this first bit at least. Uh, but Andy, you've been on your travels, haven't you? You're speaking to us from near the bullring in Madrid. What are you doing there? I went to cover Real Madrid against Paris Saint-Germain uh, last night for the Champions League for, for work, and it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, we're not going to talk about it too much because we'll just get even more depressed about how good some of the teams are. But uh, Karim Benzema scored hat-trick in 17 minutes. That's a player who Manchester United have twice tried to sign and <laughs> has been world-class for like f 14 years. And PSG just capitulated. It was incredible to watch as a neutral. 
Uh, it was the biggest crowd in the Bernabeu for two years. The crowd really got behind him. And I, I think we should lead more into this about how the crowd can help Manchester United against the other team from Madrid next week. Uh, Pochettino looked look shocked after, after the match. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti who had been linked a, a little bit with Manchester United. Uh, he's done a really good job at Madrid. He's basically got the same players as last year. He's got them scoring more goals. He's tightened the defence up. I, I find Madrid really interesting because they're very public about what they're going to do. They put the team out two hours before kickoff last night. As in, we're Madrid, here's our team. Come and look at our European Cups. Who are you? And it's arrogant because Madrid are arrogant and it's bold, but it worked. It absolutely worked. Um, Probably wasn't looking so wise at 2-0 down on aggregate, was it? <laughs> it was Half an hour to go. It, it, it wasn't. And, and the PSG fans, 2,000 of them, non-stop, brilliant support. And obviously I was doing my prep for when Manchester United uh, meet Real Madrid, either in the next round or the semi-final or the final. They're better than Manchester United. And they've got a togetherness, which, which I envied. They're a good team. Look, the, the, the top of the league are going to win the title again. They were only 10 minutes away from winning the league last year. One goal away from reaching the Champions League final last year. They've not spent any money apart from uh, one player in the last two years. They're preparing the ground to go again, which is pretty ominous for, for the rest of football. The stadium development, and we can link that back into Manchester United because they think big. They've a huge development, which Manchester United should also do at Old Trafford. And the best football ground in the world is, is, has got even better. So it was a major night of European football. I felt privileged to be paid to be there watching it as a neutral. And just watching the fans around me go absolutely crazy. Yeah, hopefully we can look forward to that at Old Trafford and have our own turnaround, at least in performance, in the second leg. You said there about being a neutral observer. I was neutral, but I was undoubtedly an interested observer considering it was Mauricio Pochettino's side who collapsed in the second half. And given the links to Manchester United, Carl, it's almost impossible to watch PSG as a neutral. When you digest what happened last night, there is a real confliction between it seems now more likely and easier that Manchester United could have Mauricio Pochettino this summer as their next manager because PSG might not fancy him quite as mm -hmm. much. But then there's the other side of it, which means that he might not be quite as attractive to Manchester United because he's failed to get one of the greatest collections of footballers ever in European football past the last 16, at least in names. I'm, I'm making that comment. He's sort of more gettable, but you want him that little bit less, maybe. It's that... Uh, that Moment of Kirby enthusiasm where Larry David doesn't know which way to turn at the end of the episode. One of them. Uh, I definitely, you know, there was loads of chat in one of my group chats about how, oh, well, Pochettino to United is probably more likely as United to go, oh, we don't have to pay a severance fee. We, we can just get him for, for next to no money now. But in terms of the collapse, Pochettino's had a weakness in a lot of difficult games in substitutions. He's not great at adjusting to changes the other manager has done. And you saw that against Real Madrid. Once Camavinga got in the field and added an extra bit of burst in energy, PSG just completely collapsed. They had no idea what to do. I have no idea where Pochettino brought on Draxler. And I know Genie Wijnaldum's had a terrible season for PSG, but Genie Wijnaldum's the sort of midfielder you bring on when you want to just hold on to the ball for 15 minutes and not completely capitulate. So this has been a long Pochettino 
problem. Uh, Spurs had that issue against Juventus in the Champions League a couple of years ago as well. I did also have a thought of if PSG do want to bin off Pochettino in the summer, surely they'll go out and get the other football manager that Manchester United are supposedly interested in. You know, the one who's uh, managing a very good football team in the Netherlands. It's, uh, I think it's really fascinating. One, why why PSG eternally cursed? Two, will Mauricio Pochettino ever fix some of his consistent foibles? Because when PSG collapse, or when a Pochettino team collapse, they really collapse, you know? You remember the Battle of Stamford Bridge, this PSG game, when they lose their heads, they properly lose their heads and, and do some, uh, what Andy might describe as Copa, Copa Libertadores style football, where they just start kicking lumps out of football players. Do you want that at Manchester United? Man- there are going to be times when Manchester United completely lose their heads. Would it, would it have been more fun in that Manchester derby for United to just completely capitulate and not really play football or spend 15 minutes getting a bunch of yellow cards, kicking the lumps out of each other? Probably would have been because <laughs> the, there wasn't a overriding evidence of, of passion and heart from those players. I know fans always resort to that. No heart, no passion, throw the kids in. And it drives me mad because if you threw the kids in, and we'll talk about the kids further on, they'd get absolutely destroyed in the Premier League and it completely stunt their development. But, but back to Pochettino, I think he's a good manager. I think he's he's amenable. I think he's too thin-skinned with criticism. And I think he's long been like that. You're right about the way his teams capitulate. He took Tottenham to the Champions League final in the city where I am now, which is an incredible achievement, Tottenham being in a European Cup final. But they didn't turn up. Then again, Manchester United didn't turn up in, in Barcelona. He's not got the trophies, and there are better managers about. Luis Enrique is a better manager. With <laughs> he's better with the media. He's won more trophies. He would be fantastic for Manchester United. But unlike Pochettino's situation is likely to become, he's managing Spain, and Spain are in the World Cup this year. So there's there's complications. You know, just as getting Guardiola or getting Jurgen Klopp would be extremely complicated. So. That's why people keep coming back to to Pochettino and his departure from PSG is more probable after after that defeat. And I agree with you, it's fascinating and quite enjoyable watching how they implode all the time because it just shows that money can't buy you everything. And I, I do think that PSG players have actually got a good mm. togetherness. I've seen evidence of that. They all they socialise together and I think there's a, a, a bit of a band of brothers element with them, but... I don't know whether it's because League One's too too weak for them. When they come up against it and really come up against it, they fall apart. That's saying they lost against Nice at the weekend, a resurgent Nice owned by a Mancunian. Do you know what? I feel even more conflicted after listening to you two <laughs> talk about Mauricio Pochettino. So, yeah, I agree. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens between now and the end of the season as Manchester United continue their search for a new boss. I don't need to say it. All the very latest, always with developments on this, will be on The Athletic. But we need to preview Manchester United's match this weekend against Tottenham, Carl, don't we? Because it's obviously Pochettino's former team, but now they've got a manager who, how many people say it, he should have been the Manchester United boss coming to Old Trafford. But forget all of that. United need to win because their top four hopes, like we were talking about after the derby, are slipping. And this now looks like what could be a pivotal fixture for their top four hopes. Every... Manchester United game is a must-win game, but this is the uh, the, the really special one. It's one of those. It's a must-must yeah, win, the isn't must, it? The must-must win, the one where there's plenty yeah. of air quotes narrative around it. Um, I think there's quite there's quite a few Manchester United fans who 
are now looking at Tottenham Hotspur going, whew, dodged the bullet and didn't bring Antonio Conte in. But there's probably an, an equally large amount of United fans going, no, we definitely should have should have gone in. Uh, so It'll be a harder argument if he wins at Old Trafford, yeah. won't it, that we shouldn't have appointed yeah. him. And from what I have observed from Antonio Conte during his time in Italy and in the Premier League, if he does do the terrible thing and beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, I don't imagine him being quiet about it. So, no, no I, I don't. I, he, he can be a sore loser. He can also be an abysmal winner. Uh, <laughs> Have we got a Jose Mourinho running down the touchline type <laughs> celebration to look forward to? No, no, because you're not going to win 4-0. Well, there is that, sure. Uh, yeah. so I, I think I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I think this Tottenham Hotspur side are on the brink of something interesting. Uh, I think they're, the, the players they brought in in the January transfer window have, uh, I mean, if Bentacore can stay fit, that midfield with Oliver Skip and Hoiberg is the sort of midfield that United have tried to get for years, but never properly bought the correct players for. So, you know, proper ball wingers, winners, proper uh, shuttlers and the proper sort of creative spot. Um, and I think Kuliveski is one of those really fun football players who would be playing at a club bigger than Tottenham Hotspur if he had greater pace. So therefore, that's why he's at Tottenham Hotspur. So that's that. In terms of United, I mean, they're fascinating right now. Every time I you know, run the data or watch some of these games, I can. I don't want to call this Manchester United team good. And I don't necessarily want to call this Manchester United team a good watch. But they are competent in patches. You can feel me struggle to give compliments here. <laughs> I think you're right to struggle, Carl, and that is not good enough. If Tottenham win at Old Trafford, they go above Manchester United in the table with a game in hand. I'm really worried about Saturday, I'll be honest. I don't watch Tottenham every week, but I've spoken to people who do in a professional capacity, and they say to me that Conte is getting some tune out of them. The best result is their one against Manchester City. He's got them playing through central midfield. He's got the forwards finishing, getting the balls between the lines and they'll be vengeful after what happened at their place which ironically was Manchester United's best performance of the season back in October but this is a very different Tottenham to then we say it every single week ahead of a draw or defeat it's a must win for Manchester United I find it interesting that you mentioned uh, Betancourt the Uruguayan midfielder I remember him coming to Old Trafford for Juventus and bossing the place absolutely fantastic in the Champions League. Such is this Manchester United, that was Mourinho's side. The team then went to Turin in the away leg and won. Juan Mata, remember him? And they could not handle Marouane Fellaini. What a game. Yeah, <laughs> no, Fellaini had, his, had his, his, his qualities. Betancourt cost £9 million. And I remember watching, because he'd come from Boca Juniors and he was, he was a kid, thinking, why are Manchester United missing out on players like this? That, that's what my overriding feeling was. And you can't get everyone, and it's very easy just to cherry-pick and say, you know, why have we not got Verratti when PSG come to Old Trafford and, and, and absolutely boss the game? But I'm worried about a Saturday, and I'm worried about next week as well. And I'm worried because I saw how bad United were against an exceptionally good City team, but I've seen how bad Manchester United are against teams at the bottom of the table, and that's why I'm worried. Yeah. I think we all feel like that, Andy, don't we? It'd be interesting to see the team selection, Carl, as well, for Ralph Rangnick this weekend, because no matter where you look, um, there's conflictions, isn't there? Again, I'm using that word again, um, because I don't know who's going to play centre-half. I'm not totally sure who's going to play full-back. I've got a vague idea of what's going to happen in midfield. 
I don't really know with any certainty who's in the wide areas for United and I have no idea who's up front. It's a baffling, baffling conundrum right now. And there are players who come into that lineup and you go, oh, okay, this this is it. You're going to be the starting so-and-so for this long. And then they get completely dropped for little reason that I can I can make sense of. Only going to Solskjaer's United last season. Uh, I mean, Solskjaer talked about layer by layer in, in the January in that he, you know, it's like painting a house. And they often did things that seemed circumstantial at first and then became designed. So, you know, United would do something, it'd get a decent result. And Oli went, right, that's what we're going to keep doing from now on. Whereas Rangnick has done things that have appeared too complicated for this group of United players. Then he simplified it. Then he's done a different style of complicated football. And then when that's seemed impressive, he's then changed things up again. And I don't quite understand why Ralph Rangnick, who is the interim manager and knows he has maybe six months and very much needs to get in the Champions League, is trying to get Manchester United to play a more complicated style of football than they seem comfortable with. The merit to that is you get the foundation and now you teach them how to press now you, you show them how to bend their runs and press because if Pochettino if Ten Hag or if Luis Enrique or if Ernesto Valverde come in they're going to want them to be able to press so you may as well teach them now early but some of the stuff this United team does and some of the, the use of players that Rennick has done I don't get it and I've you know I'm a football journalist for three or four seasons I don't I have no left foot I'm not great in the air Blah, blah, blah. You you can just be smarter than me. But it is really confusing looking at these team sheets. And you do every now and again look at these team sheets and go, wait, why are we changing up this centre-half partnership? What happened to Dallow? What's happened now? Yeah, you've you've picked on a good point there because the one that's confusing me the most at the minute is Diogo Dallow, I think. It's it's maybe not the biggest issue that Manchester United have, have got. Uh, and it's probably reflected in the fact that no one yet has asked the manager what's going on with Diogo Delo uh, in the press conferences because of everything else that's going on. Uh, but Andy, he'd started eight matches in a row, Delo. He'd started, I think, 11 of 13 for Ralph Rangnick um, at Manchester United until the last four when he's completely disappeared. What's happened to him? Why is he not in the team? I think there's only one person who can answer that and that is Ralph Rangnick. I don't think the player has got a clue. I wrote a big piece for him for The Athletic three weeks ago, spoke to loads of people on and off the record about him. I spoke to people in Milan about him, spoke to people at Manchester United. The theme of it at the time was that he was at his high point as a Manchester United player. He felt he was playing well. In the last few matches that he played, he fell, and the statistics back this up, that defensively he was improving. I did ask Ralph Rangnick about him and the other full-backs when I was in the process of writing that piece. Uh, maybe it's time to ask him again why he's been dropped. I, I just think, in fairness to the manager, it's a football decision, but it it is an odd one. I'm not saying that Diogo Delot is Cancelo class because he's not, or Trent Alexander-Arnold class because it's not and I'm depressing myself saying it's even more given who they play for but it's just another sideline of interest that a player who's seemingly doing well just gets pushed out not for one game because you can almost understand why he wants to bring Aaron Wan-Bissaka in against Manchester City but against Watford at home surely Delo would be um, would be a better option there 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, Laurie Whitwell, as you might have realised by now, is not on the pod today, but we can hear from him now as he was at Old Trafford last night to see Manchester United's youngsters progress to the FA Youth Cup final. Thanks, Ian. Yes, I was at Old Trafford last night for a really good occasion. 10,000 fans in attendance, including some from Wolverhampton who had made the trip up the M6, so credit to them. The players showed their appreciation at the end with a lap of honour along the Sir Alex Ferguson stand where the supporters were situated. Um, and to be fair, Torrance Binion's team had put in a top performance. Um, Charlie McNeil opened the scoring with a smart finish from a tight angle after rounding the goalkeeper. Isaac Hansen with a nice through ball. Alejandro Garnacho added a second with a lovely shot after cutting in. Um, Sam Mather with the assist on that one. Garnacho was shown actually this tournament, scoring two in the previous round against Leicester and also an incredible goal against Everton in the last 16 following a 60-yard sprint. Go and watch that one if you haven't already seen it. Um, and McNeil added a third late on with a close-range finish. Um, after the game I spoke to Captain Reese Bennett who said the team aren't finished yet and they want to go and win the competition he also said how Harry Maguire's words in the dressing room before the game had given them a boost um, Maguire then watched the game with Dean Henderson in the stands uh, Dan Gore also spoke well he's another local lad and had a great game in midfield alongside Kobe Maino who, who looks a real talent at just 16 um, Colin Little uh, one of the under 18's coaches uh, who's worked with Marcus Rashford in the past been at the club for a long time uh, said how some of the foreign recruits were welcome to Manchester with tough tackles in training Training. Um, and he also spoke to Nick Cox, who was full of admiration for how the young players, the likes of Garnacho from Atletico Madrid and Mark Gerardo from Barcelona, have adapted to life at United in challenging times. Our main focus is learning and development, but at Manchester United, you've also got to know how to win. You've got to be able to play under pressure. You've got to be able to deliver what you've learned in the spotlight. So I'm, I'm delighted that the boys managed to do that. And look, in their young lives, this will be a, a monumental night that some of them will go on to do great stuff in their careers, but they'll still remember tonight ahead of many other experiences that they have. So, yeah, really proud. Pleased for the staff, pleased for the boys. It's been special, a special evening. Nick, is it fair to say that this is the group that you have to sort of supplement with, um, you know, signings in terms of Garnacho and, and Gerardo and the like to, to kind of boost them up? So it's quite, you know, sort of reassuring for you to see how they've developed and, and come into the team and, and you know get into a youth cup final for the first time in you know 11 years yeah. i've always said that united's best teams and better youth teams have always been the core of local talent supplemented from the best players from outside of manchester maybe sometimes outside of the country um, and so there was a really really nice blend i think that's what a youth team should look like there was a lovely blend of some boys that have been with us since the beginning of the journey when they were nine boys that have joined us along the way 
and obviously some players that were recruited more recently. And I have to commend the, the boys that joined us um, in the last year or so because they joined at the hardest possible time. You know, leaving leaving home to, to come to a club of this size is not an easy thing to do. But when you do it in a pandemic and you spend weeks and months away from your family, you can't get home, you spend a lot of time kind of isolating away from the world and making sacrifices so that you can keep your mates healthy and you can get on the pitch frequently. Uh, not an easy thing to do. So maybe tonight is a little bit of a, a reward for those boys that have had to make those great sacrifices to be to be with this club. Kobe Maynard, who's done really well there. Dangerous ball in. Garnacho! McNeil! That seals it! Charlie McNeil! And Manchester United are through to a first FA Youth Cup final since 2011. They have dispatched Wolves 3-0. Yeah, a brilliant night for Manchester United's youngsters, Carl, and some real quality in that team as well. I mean, it seems obvious, really, considering they've got to the final, but you sort of look at some of the individuals in that team and it's hard not to be excited. It's always a great feeling where you watch the academy team and a striker puts away chances in the way that youth team is putting away chances. Uh, I Forgive me, I'm going to garble his name now. Is it Gar- Garencho? Alejandro Garnacho. Alejandro Garnacho. But he's a winger though, isn't he? Winger, forward. They, they, make, they make them all down in Carrington. Uh, <laughs> I look at him and go, we've got one here. We've, we've, got, an, we've got a good one here. Uh, he, he's recently just occurred for the Argentinian national team as well, which... Yeah, there's going to be a chance of Argentina again at Old Trafford, isn't there, at this rate? Uh, Andy, you're actually... <laughs> in the city where he's from. I mean, Manchester United got him from Atletico. Obviously, it's he's in the Argentina provisional squad for the international matches in March through his mother, I believe. But it's not just him, is it? There's, there's, there's some real quality in this team. There's several players there who they came in partly because they had to come in because the Brexit implications. So I spoke to Travis Binion the other day about this and, and read it on The Athletic. He's the, the lead coach for the 18s. If you remember that summer, United signed a flush of players for, for a lot of money, given that they were 16 and 17, and, and players they wouldn't be allowed to sign now because of Brexit. Mm. So United have got to get the recruitment done internally rather than looking to places like Madrid to sign players like Garnacho. That couldn't happen now, um, while the players are, are so young. I think it's fantastic that United have reached the FA Youth Cup final for the first time since 2011. A competition at youth level is higher than ever. Congratulations to Travis Binion, to his assistant, Colin Little, who's a Wivenshaw lad, proper good finisher, striker, played with my brother actually, uh, at, at, at top non-league clubs, lower Premier, lower um, football league clubs. Uh, to the coaches who've worked with him and helped them progress, people like Neil Ryan, Neil Wood, and great. Great for the lads to be playing at Old Trafford in front of a proper crowd. Great that they've come through against some difficult teams. And uh, Travis Binion was saying how difficult Wolves are. And United beat them 3-0. It's fantastic. I hope there'll be a massive crowd uh, for the final. I was getting worried that Chelsea were catching up on the record number of wins that Manchester United have won in this competition. They're only one Mm -hmm. behind. I think Chelsea have won it seven times in the last 12 years. So it would be... Great for the for the youth team to win it this year, 
and a rare bright spot in what's been a, a really disappointing season overall at the club. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it could be Chelsea that Manchester United face in that final as well. They take on Nottingham Forest in the other semi-final later on this month. So we await with interest who Manchester United will face. <laughs> Right, well, speaking of FA Youth Cup successes for Manchester United, a star of the last team that won that competition was described by Sir Alex Ferguson at the time as the best kid you will ever see. Former United prodigy Ravel Morrison is now at Derby and he displayed some of that talent last weekend. Plenty of white shirts forward. It's into Morrison. Dummy. Chance. Still Morrison. What a goal that is. What a goal. It's one of the best goals I've seen at Pride Park. That was unbelievable. Yeah, an incredible goal from a player who everybody, I think everybody, was expecting to be an absolute superstar for United. But it never quite happened, Andy, did it? No, I'm from the same part of Manchester as Ravel. So I knew him and my brothers knew him growing up. Incredible talent. I'm pretty sad that it didn't work out from Manchester United. I've written a lot about him over the years. United's perspective is that they feel they did absolutely everything to enable his career as a professional footballer at Manchester United. Uh, that That's subjective, but that's a club's perspective. Um, I followed him and wanted to go and see him in Mexico when he went over there. He really has travelled around. I think Sam Allardyce didn't treat him well when he played under him. He stayed in touch Ravel, with people like Gary Neville, which I found was quite interesting. And I'm really pleased for him this season. And I find myself watching Derby County more than I've ever watched Derby County because of their points deduction. I was at their first pre-season of the season. There were only 3,500 people there against Real Betis. And Wayne Rooney turned up. And he'd been in the front pages of the tabloids in previous days. There was talk of him losing his job. And I just thought... <laughs> There's no way he's going to be a success here. That was my, my feeling that day in, in July. And then as the point deductions added and added, I think you like to see the underdog doing well and got no affinity with Derby County, but I think it's great to see Rooney doing well from the outside and I'd love him to stay up. He still thinks seems like it's going to be really difficult for Derby County to stay up, but big club, average crowds of 30,000 for many years. I know it's dropped off in the last couple of years and... I'm pleased that Ravel Morrison not only A, has a club, but B, is playing regular football. Because if you look at his stats, he's gone somewhere. You hear the same old story. He plays three matches and then he moves on. So I know it's taken a long time, but if you're playing in the championship, you're playing at a really good level as a footballer. And good luck to him. I'd love him to finish his career and he could have a good five or six years left and... On, on, on a happier note than the first part of his career. Yeah, we well, said there about following Derby more closely this season. Well, one man who's definitely done that is Elias Burke, who joins us now. He's the Athletics Derby writer. Elias, thank you for coming on Talk of the Devils. You've written about Ravel's game-changing ability and that goal, of course, at the weekend, breaking it down in your piece on the Athletic. I mean, more generally, how's he done at Derby? So he came in in the summer and Derby were in such a precarious position over the transfer window. They could only really sign players for really low wages or um, on free transfers and stuff. 
So it was kind of a case of Rooney just calling in all of the favours and all the players that you knew previously and and tapping up some of the old contacts that he's got. And obviously Ravel, such a kind of obvious link to Manchester United and when Rooney, uh, you mentioned the Youth Cup there and stuff. And Rooney's always been super complimentary of his talent. I think you mentioned in a column in the Times a couple of years ago how, you know, obviously that Youth Cup team and it was Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba obviously in that side and he said he was streets ahead of all of them. So I guess it's no surprise really that they kind of connected again with Rooney as manager and, and Ravel as player. And it's kind of been a bit stop-starty for Ravel. I mean, he's had a couple of suspensions. He's been out injured and stuff. But certainly on this weekend, he really kind of came of age uh, and kind of produced his defining performance really in this Derby shirt. And yeah, as you say, and I mean, I suppose many of you have already seen it, but that first goal was just absolutely spectacular and kind of befitting of that quality that we all know that he's got. And then the second goal kind of speaks to how he's evolved in many ways this season from Rooney himself and Liam Rossini, the assistant. They mentioned about how he's how they've worked really kind of closely with him in, in training to kind of make sure he's always at the final third of the pitch. You might you know think about Rooney, how later in his career, and perhaps you might, might even say throughout it, he was kind of the player that, even though he's supposed to be the strike, he likes to drop back a little bit and collect the ball off the defence or defensive midfield and stuff and build play up by himself, while Raval's very similar. Sometimes when he's supposed to be the number 10 and he's supposed to be the link between the defensive midfielders and the striker, he'd actually see, you'd see him a lot coming back and drifting back into those positions. Because obviously he's so talented, he wants to help out the game and stuff. Uh, but this weekend especially, he's really done that. And getting on the end of those final balls, obviously he's still got the quality to uh, to set them up himself. But yeah, this weekend for sure was, was the game that he really kind of showed everyone at Derby what he's really capable of. Looking at the comments on your piece, there was one exchange between a couple of uh, a couple of fans that made me giggle, actually. And, and Carla, I'd like to get your reflection on this because this is probably how it's felt as a Manchester United fan watching Ravel's career so far. Uh, Mark wrote, everyone deserves a second chance and it's great to see him flourishing. Nice one, Ravel. To which Benji replied, totally agree, although technically wouldn't this be now his sixth or seventh chance? And Steve said, second chance, I think he's on his eighth by now. Well, whichever chance it is, it's nice to see him taking it, isn't it? Because like Andy said before, different countries, I think five, five different countries, 12 different teams over the last 12 years. It's been a journey just watching him, let alone being in his position. Truly, I think every two and a half seasons, there's a there's a long article uh, in, in The Athletic or, or some newspaper saying, catching <laughs> yeah, up with Ravel Morris and what's going on. I think one that really stuck with me was when he, I think he went to Austerlands in Scandinavia, uh, and it was it, that was the big sort of I'm I'm here to restart my career after playing in Mexico and whatnot. Out in Mexico, I believe he, he had a real problem with food and he could only eat stuff he was familiar with, and he lost a number of his teeth and has to get a bunch of false teeth and whatnot. And Ravel Morrison has made a lot of mistakes in his career, and I think he, he he'll admit that. And when he left Manchester United. I believe Alex Ferguson said words to the effect of I've tried everything I could, but ultimately he needed to get away from a certain negative element that was in Manchester. Um, there's also the story about when uh, essentially Ferguson told Rio Ferdinand to spend as much time as possible with Ravel to, 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 to put him on the straight and narrow. Uh, but the fact that, you know, there was another, uh, I think they did an interview a couple, maybe a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago. Yeah, they did. Where yeah. Rio mentioned, you know, text Alex, Sir Alex, and, and Sir Alex essentially just gave a very nice soliloquy about the talent of Real Morrison. So it's it's good that he's on this chance and it's good that he's playing football. And I think it's really fine that it's happening under Wayne Rooney, who is 
I mean, if there's any football player that understand that acutely feels the concept of guilt and forgiveness, it is Wayne Rooney. So I, li- I like it. I-, I like what's going on at Derby at the moment. Yeah, Elise, in terms of Rooney, obviously we're all watching from afar to see exactly uh, the way that he's been inspiring the club to try and get out of this situation and inspiring an, unli- an unlikely fight against relegation considering how big the points deduction was. I mean, I don't think we're quite at the point where we're talking about could he be the choice for Manchester United in the summer. I think we're a little bit off that just yet, although he has spoken quite openly about the ambition of being a, a Manchester United manager in the future. But in terms of the signs that you've seen in him so far, we know about the sort of man management element and sort of dragging the club forward to give them a hope of battling against relegation. But what have you seen in terms of the, the tactics and the, and the preparation of the side away from the sort of emotion of of football management that might give Manchester United fans encouragement that Rooney could one day be the boss at Old Trafford. Very quickly on the man management thing, there was something that happened a couple of matches ago. So Tom Lawrence, another United Academy graduate, of course, he got sent off for, you know, it was a bit of a petulant kick out. He's kind of been associated with that over his derby career. He hasn't been able to kind of consistently perform to the level that we all expect of. And, He's, you know, Derby, Derby's captain this season. That was a conscious decision from Rooney to try and get an extra 20 or 30% out of him because they realise how important he's going to be um, between now and the end of the season, essentially, if Derby were to stay up. And so he got that red card and you might have ex- expected Rooney to go into the dressing room and give him a bollocking and say, you know what, you're going to get fined, blah, blah, blah. Instead, he said to Lawrence, you know what, Go on holiday for a few for a couple of a uh, couple of weeks. Take a little break, kind of re- refresh, recharge. We're going to really need you between now and the end of the season. And Lawrence came back on the weekend and was awesome. I mean, he played really like really really well. They've now got that kind of connection between him and Ravel and that that ex United kind of contingency in the club. Obviously Rooney as well, and that's really helping. You know, Rooney kind of being so conscious of those situations as a player. Obviously, we all associate him with. You know, unfortunately, the off the field issues and stuff, but having that experience and really understanding players is, is a talent that he's really kind of honed into as, as Derby manager. And that's obviously going to suit him really well in the future. On a tactical level, Rooney's actually been really quite flexible. I mean, Derby's kind of tra- changes in formation and changes in personnel are informed really on injuries and pl- bringing players up from the academy and stuff because their squad isn't big at all. I mean, Half of the squad really are academy players that have been brought up from the academy this season. So, you know, when he's ever when he's needed to change the system from a 4-2-3-1, which is his favorite uh, formation, he often goes to a three at the back and you know finds personnel from the academy to try and make that work for him. Since Bielik has come back from injury as well, he's another defensive midfielder. You can see how the team has really started to progress the ball from defense into midfield and move through the th- thirds and stuff. Obviously, Rooney's you know, got a great football mind, one of the greatest English players of our, of my lifetime, essentially. And that's really kind of proven. You know, he's worked under such great managers as his United play, you know, Sir Alex, of course, and Louis van Gaal, who we associate with his tactical ingenuity and whatever. So he's really got a, a, a great mind and it's kind of, you know, really enhanced Derby's chances of uh, of survival. You mentioned Tom Lawrence. Uh, obviously, Tom played first-team football briefly at, at Manchester United, and I know he's an important player now at, um, at Derby. I, I just um, 
looked in my computer when I, I'd interviewed Tom when he was at Leicester City, and he said, uh, I played with lads like Lionel Cole, Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba and Ravel Morrison at United. Pogba and Ravel were outstanding. Pogba and Ravel would run games from centre midfield. Pogba's feet were an absolute joke. So it's quite nice that they're now playing together and maybe Paul Pogba will move to Derby and all three of them can play together because, of course, he's out of contract. <laughs> that would be something to watch. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, time now then to round up some of the other interesting Manchester United content that's on The Athletic at the minute. And I did promise you at the top of this podcast that we try and move you away from the Derby disappointment and try and cheer you up. I hope we've done that by speaking about the FA Youth Cup success and also Ravel Morrison and Wayne Rooney at Derby. But, Andy, um, you've been spending time speaking to people of a Liverpool and Manchester City persuasion about the idea that Manchester United's treble might be matched or even usurped. Oh, come on. I thought you wanted to end this podcast on, a, on an optimistic <laughs> moment. I, I'm sorry. I didn't do yeah. the running order. What I'd say about Manchester United's there. treble is that the team had to come through a, a qualifying and a group game games against Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Bromby, who were a decent side then, and then draw the team which Alex Ferguson didn't want in the quarterfinals into Milan, and their starting eleven read like a who's who. And Manchester United's treble... Uh, as enshrined in United Nations law, um, will never be beaten or matched. <laughs> Next question. Um, but you've written a piece in a podcast about the possibility that it might? Yeah, I've, I've got coerced into talking about it, basically <laughs> kicking a man while he's down. Hi, Andy, can we ring you the morning after the derby win? And talk Was it the about morning how, after? Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah, and talk about how great Manchester City and Liverpool are at the moment. And we're going to use the words quadruples and, and, and trebles. And we're going to make you sound like an old man talking about things that happened 20 years ago. That's, a, that's the truth of it. But it was brilliant. I'm glad that it happened. And I really hope that Manchester City and Liverpool uh, don't, don't do the, the same this year. Yeah, Carl, working out what to do about all of this is a real jigsaw. Who you sort of want to win what to make sure that they don't win that and they don't have this too much success. I mean, obviously in Europe, we're cheering on Bayern Munich, no doubt. But uh, domestically as well, it's, it's hard to work it out again, isn't it, really? There's a great author and writer, uh, Darren Richmond, United fan. Uh, and I think it was around about the late Van Gaal era where he said, if I knew this many football fans were going to laugh at me when United were bad, I would have been more of a gloating prick when United were good. And I'm very much 
you know, I've, I've warned everyone. I went to the SGA uh, Sports Journalism Awards on, on Monday uh, and I've, I've talked to quite a few United fans and other people writing about United. And I went, look, you can laugh at me. You can talk about the Darby all you want. But the moment United win a Premier League, not even a Premier League, give me a League Cup. I'm going to be insufferable. I'm going to come back. I'll be throwing toothpicks. I'll be a massive, massive gloating whatever. Because it's coming. It will happen one day. United aren't going to be away for too long. I can't see an English treble, the proper quality treble, coming anytime soon. Because Pep Guardiola loves to overcomplicate things in the Champions League. And uh, for all of his noted qualities in football, Jurgen Klopp has only taken the English Domestic Cup seriously as of the you know reaching the quarterfinal stage of the League Cup. I've just realised something, Carl, as well. I was taking the mick out of Andy before for his lack of optimism. And I just said the sentence, we're all cheering on Bayern Munich in Europe <laughs> like Manchester United are already out of the Champions League. That should be some sort of fine answer. Yeah, you're right. It? Manchester United could stop Liverpool or Manchester City winning a treble by beating them in Paris. But you're quite right the way you frame this question. It seems so improbable at the moment of Manchester United getting a result. Are we mathematically out of the title race? I'm just going to have a look now. <laughs> Yeah, I think we might be, yeah. Are we mathematically safe from staying up? <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, I would have thought so. We're past 40 points, aren't we? <laughs> we were really, as as my friend Jack tells me, man, I'm, you know, I'm a child of the 90s, and so whenever someone yells at me, all I can say is, Manchester United ruined your childhood, and, and no, no amount of derby victories or, you know, Aaron Wan-Bissaka not defending his back post is ever going to undo that. So, <laughs> No, I hold on to that, Carl, as well. I always think that's a great way of looking at it. And I also, I have to admit, I do hold on to the treble as well because it's something that no English team has ever achieved before. And Andy, I do think there would be a, a, a sadness from Manchester United fans' perspective if that was to be matched this season or, or even worse usurped because for all the, the sort of struggles of the last few years, that is the one thing that United fans can cling on to. And winning uh, three Premier League titles in a row yeah, as well. and 20 times. Twice. 20 times winning winning the league. and Twice, yeah, and uh, 20 times. And that's yeah. great. Manchester United have got an incredible um, history. But the reality for most football fans is it's not about doubles and trebles. So I came through... Madrid's main train station yesterday and there were hundreds of West Ham fans and I spoke to them and proper West Ham fans they were going to Seville and they were so excited and they said this is our biggest game since the FA Cup final in 2006 which which they lost and I just thought that is the reality for most football fans you don't see your team win trophies they should be seen as a bonus but then it's the glory game and the biggest clubs like United should be expected or anticipated to, to, to win trophies but West Ham get 60,000 every week and win absolutely nothing and these fans were pretty reasonable and they were saying to me you know what's going wrong at your club do you think you should have stayed kept with David Moyes a, a, a little bit longer are you going to nick Declan Rice um, f- from us um, so there was, there was loads of that and it just made me I wouldn't say reset but just think their love for their club isn't any weaker because they don't win anything. It's so much more than just about trophies and the game. Going to West Ham is what they do. And going to Manchester United is what Manchester United fans do as well. just doesn't feel great doing it at the moment. But this is a new reality, unfortunately. And if you can bring yourself to think about that reality, read about that reality and hear that reality anymore, uh, the piece, of course, uh, speaking about the prospects of Liverpool or Manchester City winning more 
trophies this season is up on The Athletic at the minute. There's a podcast on there, like we've said as well. So go and have a look at that. Carl, you've been writing about Ralph Rangnick and his substitutions, which is another interesting take on the situation at United at the minute, which you can go and have a look at. Andy, you've been interviewing the chef and there's a piece up there from Manchester United chef as well. But I've got a bone to pick with you, actually. You were talking the other week about really having to press on and, and get out this Lee Sharp piece which still hasn't dropped. Are you sure you didn't accept that pint off his mate when you first got there and you've not recorded any of the interviews? I did accept the pint and I was going through the, through the transcription as I was writing it up and it's like, do you want a beer? No, thanks, more right, we're a coffee. There's a beer for you there, mate. I didn't ask for it. There's another beer for you there, mate. I, I, I did write it up. When I said I did on the podcast, I did send it in. It was supposed to be published last weekend, but because of a football game in Manchester... It was put back. Lee Sharp will be on The Athletic on Friday morning, UK time. And I think Lee Sharp is well worth reading. And if it's not, is then promise? I'm going to take it up with the editors because I'm going to make a fool of myself by the time we, we next do a podcast <laughs> after the weekend draw against Tottenham. Yep, money back guarantee Andy Mitson is offering there. So please let us know if he's not dropped his article in time or it's not enjoyable. Um, all, all feedback is welcome. Uh, Andy, Carl, been brilliant to have you with us as always on Talk of the Devils. Let's hope there is something a little bit more happy and optimistic and whatever word you want to use this weekend when Manchester United take on Tottenham. No matter what happens, of course, we will be back on Monday to reflect on the result. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for now, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.